Jesus, you make all things new, so we ask that through your word you would make us new, and then Lord, help us to know how we can be part of what you're doing in the world. We pray this in your name, amen. Well, hello, 945, good to see all of you here. I I recently saw a kind of tongue-in-cheek Facebook post from the Queen of England to the United States, and here's what it said. It said, in light of your failure to choose a president in a civilized manner, and thus to govern yourselves, we hereby revoke your independence. Her Sovereign Majesty Queen Elizabeth II will resume monarchical duties over all states except North Dakota, which she does not fancy. The President's office and Congress will be disbanded. A questionnaire will be circulated next year to see whether any of you noticed. How many of you think that's a good idea right about now? Right, like maybe that's, maybe we should just, like, hey, it was a good experiment, but no, it's just over, right? Now, there were some conditions, you know, like England would start collecting taxes backdated to 1776. But other than that, to me, maybe, maybe it's a good idea. This is the last sermon in a series that we've been doing on how we, we have what it takes to be one of the churches. It's going to take a lot of churches, but we have what it takes, Bell Press, to be one of those churches that launches a movement to heal our culture. And there is plenty in our culture that needs to be healing, right? I mean, needs to be healed. And the toxicity of our politics, that's just one of those things. Although it is really bad this time, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to start a write-in campaign, Taft, now more than ever. I think, think we need him now more than ever. <laughs> By the way, you do know, right, whoever becomes president, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen? That's our hope. What would you like to see healed in our culture? What would you like to see healed in our culture? Wouldn't it be great, for instance, if we saw real, genuine racial reconciliation and healing? Wouldn't it be great if youth had a lot of caring adults in their lives and if senior citizens felt valued and affirmed? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great to see poverty de- decrease as Christians give people in need a hand up instead of a handout? Or to see sex, money, and power used in ways that affirmed other people rather than just in, as a means of self-gratification? What would you like to see healed in our culture? There's a long list of stuff that needs to be healed, right? Well, here's the good news, guys. Through the power of Jesus, it is possible. Even better news, it has happened before. History shows that it is possible. As we've said throughout this entire sermon series, Christian movements have transformed entire continents for the better. First, during the Roman Empire, all of Europe was transformed. Then after the fall of Rome, again, second time, when Europe had reverted to paganism, And then now it's happening in China, Latin America, and in Africa. And in all of those cases, as people didn't just go to church, they didn't just go to church, but they actually began to live the Jesus way of life, well, then things like human sacrifice and slavery disappeared. Women gained greater rights. Gladiator games and other forms of violence just kind of diminished and disappeared altogether. Because not through laws or not through people passing laws or protests or anything like that, but because when enough people start not just going to church, but living the genuine Jesus way of life, those things aren't interesting anymore. And they just die out naturally. And the culture got healed. And always the formula for cultural healing is the same. Here's what a second century non-Christian wrote to explain why Christianity was growing so fast. To him, it was kind of a horrifying thing, but this is how he explained the rapid growth of Christianity. He said, Christians share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They are poor, but they make everyone else rich. They are short of everything, and yet they have joy no matter what. They are mocked, but they bless in return. Then he goes on to say they have no racism. 
They were Christians first and Africans, Jews, and Romans later. They didn't see sex as just an appetite to be satisfied as Roman culture did. Instead, they saw it as a way of saying, I belong exclusively to you. And in a world where sex had been reduced to just a physical act, that actually was very attractive. It was very powerful. They cared for orphans. They dug graves for poor and criminals who otherwise would have rotted on the street. And on and on and on. And because of their sacrificial service, Christianity became the fastest growing movement ever in human history. 40% per decade for 300 years. Nothing has even come close. Nothing can even touch that in terms of the rapidity and strength of the movement. And as that happened, the culture didn't get perfect, but it got better. So here's the formula for cultural healing. It's the only thing that's ever been proven to work. Christians living radically different lives of service to others, a.k.a. living counterculture. The only way that we are going to change culture is not by yelling at the culture, not by pointing fingers at the culture. The only way to change culture is to make more culture, better culture, new culture. Because, you know, if we're just as fearful, if we're just as greedy, just as angry at people who don't share our politics as everyone else, right? If we're just as uptight, if we're just as enslaved to success and reputation, if we're always shouting about our rights, showing the same me-first attitude as everyone else in our culture, then people are not going to point at us and go, oh, yeah, there it is. I see the difference Jesus makes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Not so much. Now, I'm not saying that we should just be passive in the face of all that's wrong in our culture. What I am saying is, let's do something that actually works. Because what Christians have been doing for the last 40 years, demonstrably, does not work. Like, do we need even, any more evidence that it doesn't work? It does not work, guys. So let's do something that historically actually does. The passage we read today in the message version says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Man, that's convicting to me because I do that a lot. Another translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Be counterculture. Now, what we preachers have made it sound like is to be counterculture, you know, that means things like, well, I don't cuss and I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, you know, like sin, <laughs> sin management kind of stuff, right? I just heard a story about a, a nun who confesses to her mother superior that she spent the entire day golfing but ended up just cussing up a blue streak, you know, as you do when you golf, right? And the mother superior said, well, what happened? And the nun said, well, on the fifth hole, I hit it straight, but then the ball hit a bird, and the mother superior said, so you cussed. And the nun said, no, because the ball fell, but then a squirrel grabbed it, and it ran off. The mother superior said, so, well, that's when you cussed. And the nun said, no, because right then an eagle swooped down and picked up the squirrel and flew off. And the mother superior said, well, that would have made me cuss, and the nun said, I know, right? But I didn't because then the eagle dropped the squirrel and the ball fell out of its paws and it landed just five inches from the hole. And the mother superior sat back and said, you missed the putt, didn't you? <laughs> that kind of sin management, I don't cuss, right? I don't do any of that sort of thing. That is, that is not what being counterculture for Jesus is about. That sin management stuff, Jesus got way bigger stuff on his list than that. Way bigger stuff on his list than that. The New International Version of this translation puts it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's not sin management. It's don't buy into the worldview. Things like the goal of life is to be happy rather than to be whole. Or success, pleasure, comfort, man, that's the good life. Things are called the worldview of our culture. And it only results, that worldview results in stress, broken families, a me-first attitude, workaholism, all kinds of stuff. 
Now, I could make a long list of ways that we could be counterculture as Christians in kind of radical, healing ways, but I'm just going to reduce it to three, and they're all going to start with C to help you remember, so as in counterculture, right? Three Cs, and some of this is going to be new information, some of this is going to be review, because I've heard that you have to hear something 17 times to remember it. I've heard that at least 17 times, so I remember it. (laughs) So some of this will be review, because this is a big paradigm shift for us. So it's going to take us a while to just, like, get our minds around it. First, we need Christ, not churchianity. We don't need churchianity. We need the real Jesus. Verse we read today, it starts, therefore, in view of God's mercies. So in Scripture, wherever there's a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for, right? So it therefore is referring to the past 11 chapters of Romans, which is all about God's love, all about his grace, all about his mercy, The good news of Jesus that we are more screwed up than we would ever dare imagine and more deeply loved than we would ever hope to believe. And when we experience that kind of love, you don't do sin management. It transforms you. You want to start being like Jesus in response to that kind of earth-shattering love. See, Jesus did not come because of a lack of religion. He came because there was too much religion. Too many rules, too many rituals, too much religiosity. So he came in the flesh to help us experience him. And we can experience his presence through worship. I love being in this room. I love being in this room where the Holy Spirit is moving and I just love, I feel God. In worship we experience it. Through other people we can experience him. In scripture, praying throughout the day. I pray all the time. I pray when I'm working out. I pray when I'm in meetings, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes feel Jesus there with me. The text says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That would have shocked people in Paul's day. Because see, back then, bodies were thought, they were kind of considered dirty and undignified, and only the soul mattered. And that's the point. The apostle Paul is saying, no, bring your bodies with its problems, with its temptations, with its failures. Bring all of that stuff to the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Unlike every other religion, Jesus does not say, clean up your act and then you can come to me. Jesus says, come to me just as you are and I'll make you everything you were designed to be. Christ, not churchianity. That's what changes us and it changes the world. Second, C, community. We are the most individualistic culture in all of history, our culture right now. And it even messes up how we read Scripture. We always apply it individually to just us. But a lot of times in Scripture, when you see the word you, like in the text today, it's actually plural. It's not to us personally. It's to a whole community. Right? So all y'all present y'all's bodies as living sacrifices. This is y'all's true worship. Okay, that's the MSV translation, Mississippi Standard Version. When I was uh, in the West Bank, uh, Palestine, uh, last November, our driver pointed out the remains of a series of houses in the biblical town of Capernaum. And you can see if you look at it closely, actually all of those houses are interconnected. You can move from one house to another house to another house and never go outside because they are all connected internally through hallways. And he was a Muslim. Our driver was Muslim, but he knew the Bible very well. And he said, you know, when Jesus says, in my father's house there are many mansions, you Americans always think of your own private villa. Jesus meant this. A series of interconnected houses where everyone's together. Jesus meant community. Heaven is community, which our culture lacks. I mean, just the fact that in American homes, the front porch has been replaced by the back patio 
says it all. But every single study ever done shows that real community is essential to any kind of lasting joy. Plus, we need community around us if we're going to live counterculture, right? You need other Christians to cheer you on when, and admire you and respect you when you don't do the kitchen remodel, right? In part because everyone who's ever done the kitchen remodel knows that it's hell on earth, right? But also maybe so that you could give some of that money away to help other people like you could today by sponsoring a child in the developing world after the service in the lobby, Right? You need folks around you to go, way to go, you're doing the right thing, because otherwise you can feel kind of left out, right? Like, well, the Joneses got a new kitchen. The Smiths got a new kitchen. Where's my new kitchen? Where's my stuff, man? Right? You need folks around you to go, no, you're doing the right thing. You need folks around you to, to support you in your marriage and ask questions and, and encourage you, but also challenge you to be the best husband and best wife that you can be. We need people to have fun with. Fun is important. we got to have fun. With people, but also get beyond news, weather, and sports, go a little deeper. People that where we're working out how to live the Christian life at school, at work, in our family life, in our relationship to the poor. I have learned that I cannot live without those people. Have you? Plus, the best way to help other people find Jesus is to invite them into community. Come watch the Seahawks with us. Come watch the Mariners with us. Come to a baseball game with us. Come, come to a barbecue, right? See, people belong before they believe. They belong before they believe, so invite them in so they can belong, and then maybe they'll believe. That's how we change culture. And there's no, I know we're a congregation full of engineers and software designers and all that, and like, okay, what, like, what's, the, what's my step, man? You know, it's not as though, it's, we got to live differently, right? It's not as though I can say, so go sign up for your best friend, you know, in the lobby, right? This is about us living differently throughout each day, guided by the Holy Spirit and his creativity and making community a priority in our lives. I can't can't sign you up for your best friend. You're going to have to follow the Spirit on this. But you could start by asking Jesus, who you already know, who do I already know, Lord, that I could go a little bit deeper with? You could stop by, get connected after the service, and, and, and join one of the ministries of this church, all of which help you meet other people. We could all start by making this a warm and welcoming place for people who are here. Say hello to someone you don't know after the service, or say hello to someone who's a different age or a different race than you. Back in December, there was a guy in his early 20s, maybe 22, 23, something like that, who came and sat down next to me over there in the, in the sanctuary. And it was Worship Through Music Sunday, as it is, as it is today, but this was back in, in December. So I was sitting down in the pews instead of up front. And I later found out this young guy, he had never been to a church ever in his life. And he had a sandwich in his hands, jeans and a t-shirt, wool cap on his head, right? And, 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 and it was worship through music, so there was this, it meant that there was, in the sanctuary there was this orchestra and, and choir and, you know, you know, so not just like normal Sunday, but Wah! Sunday, right? <laughs> and, and so, I, and, 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 and after the whole thing, I turned to him when it was all over, I turned to him and said, hi, I'm Scott, good to meet you. And he said, I love that, that was, that was awesome, and then he looked at me and he goes, do you come to this church a lot? <laughs> when I feel like it, you know. <laughs> and he said, I've never been to church at all in my life, but someone told me to come today. You know? And so I did. And so I said, well, here in the sanctuary or over there in, in modern worship? Because, you know, he looked a lot more rock and roll than wah, right? <laughs> and he goes, no, here in the sanctuary. See, I made an assumption. It's easy to do, isn't it? He goes, no, here in the sanctuary, and I, I've never seen anything like this. It was so spiritual. I am so glad I came. I feel so much better. Well done, Bell Press. Here's a guy, never been to church before, but he was warmly welcomed, 
And he was hungry for God's spirit and he experienced Jesus moving in and around him. And maybe that's the start of a process that may lead him to the Jesus way of life. To be radically counterculture, we need Christ, not churchianity. We need community in a very individualistic culture. That is very counterculture, community. And then finally, in a consumer culture, two more C's, but those are the bad C's. Consumer culture that even affects how our faith, right? Like, what have you done for me today, Jesus? Another way to be radically counterculture is to be carriers of the kingdom's culture wherever we go. What does the kingdom mean? Kingdom of God simply means whenever things are done the way God always intended. It's about relationships, reconciliation, renewal, rejoicing, making all things new. See, we are called not to be thermometers that just register the cultural temperature around us. We are called to be thermostats that change the culture around us through the power of Jesus. That's why this passage says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not your soul, not your spirit, not your thoughts, not your ideas. Your everyday getting up, going to school or work life, the stuff you do every day in your body, carry that kingdom wherever you go. And this is not about doing more things. Don't go adding stuff to your schedule unless God really makes it clear you're supposed to do that. No, it's not about doing more things. It's about doing the same things you're already doing differently. Keeping our eyes open for opportunities to bring healing in our school, office, neighborhood, wherever we are. Well, how do I know what to do and when to do it? What's the plan? Well, again, this, the Holy Spirit's got to guide us. But this, this, this text gives us some, some hint. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, get God's thoughts in your mind through Scripture, through worship, through all kinds of ways. Get God's thoughts in your head rather than our culture's thoughts. Then you will be able to know what God's will is. We always want to know what God's will is. Well, start getting God's thoughts in your head. Then you'll know. The closer we get to Jesus, get his thoughts in our head instead of our cultures, we're going to begin to see the opportunities to bring the kingdom wherever we are. For instance... For instance, what if Christians were known as the most honest people around? Psychologist Richard Bacchus says that research shows that the average person tells 200 lies a day. 200 little moments of deceit through words or body language or spinning things to control outcomes. 200 lies. And if you're sitting there going, you know, that seems like a lot. I don't do that. That would be number one. <laughs> and so early in the morning... What if we were known as Christians for being radically honest, lives of radical integrity? What if Christians were known as the most generous people as they were during the Roman Empire and again after the fall of Rome? What if Christian-owned businesses had this reputation for taking just a little less profit so that their workers could make more money? What if at school or your job you're always looking for opportunities to bring the kingdom wherever you go? Maybe you might go, well, I can't do that. I'm just a student or I'm just like a cubicle guy or a cubicle gal. I, I, no power. Yeah? Well, I just heard about an entry-level employee named Bob who kept praying that God would show him how he could be the kingdom, where he is at work. So he joined a committee that was designed to boost employee morale. But like most committees, this one didn't actually do anything. It just met, right? But, but Bob got really excited about this, and so he started planning things like he did a service project in the community that helped get the staff closer together. He would plan these like short five-minute little parties in the office, stuff like that, and suddenly that place became a really great place to work, really fun place to work. Didn't have any power, but he changed something, right? It's about asking the question, how would my office, school, or neighborhood look different if Jesus were having his way here? 
We had some, some young adult consultants with us a couple of weeks ago to kind of help us know how we can better empower and reach out to people who are in their 20s as a church. And they said that their generation is the most fatherless generation in history. And because of that, they are hungry for older people in their lives to disciple them. Not by giving them advice, but just by doing life with them. And they said, take us to your office so that we can see how you do your job. Because we want to figure out how to do that too. Just, so take us to work with you so we can watch how you do that. How you bring Jesus in that or how you don't bring Jesus in that. And how you work through that. Invite us into your home for dinner so we can see how you relate to your family. Even when you're not doing it well. Because we won't always do it well. So we need to know how to handle that. One guy tells his mentors, I never want to meet with you at all. Just take me along on everything you're already doing and talk to me along the way. See, it's not doing more things. It's doing what you're already doing differently. And they gave us a list of, of things to include young people in, and some of them kind of surprised me. Like, 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 they said, let us observe how you do your morning routine. I thought all you would see is me hitting the snooze button over and over again, like, not very edifying. They said, if you're a pastor, how, you know, let us watch, help us, you know, just invite us in to watch how you do sermon prep. And I thought, you would just see me sitting there at a blank computer screen going, oh, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. <laughs> not sure how that's going to help you, all right? So anyway, I showed this list to some of the younger men that I'm mentoring, and I asked them, what on this list would you like to be invited into? You know what they said? A lot of them picked your morning routine and sermon prep. In other words, let me deeply into your life. Let me see how you succeed, and let me see how you fail, and how you bring Jesus into it all, and how sometimes you forget to bring Jesus in. Let me see it. Take me on vacation with you. Right? Some of you are like, well, then it wouldn't be a vacation. Right? <laughs> no, maybe not, but it would be counterculture. And it would be life-changing, radically counterculture, because it's radically about community. What if each one of us did that for a 20-something that we know at work or in our family or in our neighborhood? What if every high schooler did that for a middle schooler? What if every middle schooler did that for an elementary student? There's a word for what would happen. Revival. What if Christians weren't known for yelling about the things that they don't like, but actually healing those things instead? Instead of yelling about abortion, provide adoption or scholarship for teen moms. Don't point a finger, lend a hand. Early Christians didn't approve of everything going on in their culture. Hey, human sacrifice, right on. They didn't approve of that, right? But they served people anyway, and then as more people followed Jesus, those things naturally died out. A man who goes to our church told me about a friend of his. I'll call him Adam. Adam lives in California. One day Adam was driving to church, saw a man walking who looked really ill, and, and so he pulled over, discovered the guy was actually really drunk. And so put him in his car, and Adam drove to this guy's apartment, and total mess, the apartment was a disaster, got him settled, then Adam went to church. Well, afterwards, he told his buddies about this guy, and so they all decided to go over to his house to help him clean it up. And when they were doing that, the woman in the apartment next door noticed what they were doing, and so she said, like, why are you doing this? Are you his relatives or friends? And, and Adam said, no, and then he told her the whole story. And the woman said, wow, that really restores my faith in humanity. So Adam gave her his business card and said, if you want to know something that will really restore your faith, give me a call. So a couple of days later, she called, said, I can't believe I'm doing this, but you seem like a person of faith, and I'm having kind of a faith crisis right now. And they talked for a while, and turns out she's a church-damaged person, had some bad experiences in a church. And so Adam said, you know what, next Sunday is Easter, and down at the beach at Lifeguard Station number 12, there's going to be a church service there, as there is every Sunday, look for a guy named Will. Well, after Easter, she called Adam up, and she said that she went, and she said she found Will, said it wasn't hard because he was the one in the wetsuit baptizing a bunch of people, right? 
and she got baptized. And now she is on her way to living the Jesus way of life. You do something like that enough times with enough people, and they start not just going to church, but start living the Jesus way of life, well, now you got a movement that can heal a culture. So here's your homework. Pick one or all three of these. First, what's one step you could take this week just to get closer to the real Jesus? Not religion, Jesus. Maybe just start by praying throughout the day. Or step two, what's one step you could take this week to go a little deeper in community? Maybe just when you're hanging out with that golfing buddy, go, hey, hey, what's really going on? And then third, how can you be a carrier of kingdom culture wherever you are? Maybe you just start with one, one need that you would like to address, one child you would like to sponsor in the developing world after this service, one ministry of our church that you want to help with, one person that you're going to pray for and try to show Jesus to. We're going to keep talking about this stuff in future sermon series because this is, this is a paradigm shift, and it's going to take time for us to kind of really figure out how to do this and live into it. But here's what I know. We can heal our culture. And I don't know about you, but I can get so discouraged from looking at just one headline in the news. But I also know this, that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And he has not given up on us, and he has not given up on this world. And history shows that even when things are coming apart at the seams, like, say, the collapse of the Roman Empire, those are the greatest opportunities for God's people to show a different way by living a different way, because the darker things get, the light just shines that much brighter. I have no blueprint for you. I have no capital campaign I'm about to announce. I have no sign up in the lobby for some big initiative. There is no one, two, three step blueprint. It's about each of us living counterculture every day, individually and corporately as a church, as the Holy Spirit guides us with his creativity. And then inviting others into it. It's the only way that has ever worked. And this way, drawing people to the Jesus way of life, it is much slower, yes, Right? But it's the only way that works, and we can start it. It may take a generation, but we can start it, and we can see some of its fruit right here and now. And we get blessed in the process, because this counterculture way of life is just better, bigger, richer anyway. Deeper friendships, greater freedom from stress and boredom. And we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves and experience Jesus' power at work in us. The culture is not going to be healed by how smart we are or how powerful or well-connected we are. The culture is not going to be healed if we just keep yelling at it long enough or vote the right person into this office or that office. The culture isn't going to be healed, as I said a couple weeks ago, if we just force Starbucks employees to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Serious? It's going to happen when we see children who aren't getting the education they need to thrive. And we as Christians say, that is not okay. That's not okay with my Lord, so it's not okay with me. And then we do something about it, as this church has. It's going to happen when we say poverty, that is not okay. It breaks the heart of God, so it breaks my heart. So we're going to use our resources and our connections, not for ourselves, but to help people in need. It happens when we see that kid at school that everyone shuns, and we decide to sit with that guy or that gal. And then the kingdom comes. You know, at the end of the four Gospels, if that's all you knew of the story, if that's all you knew, you wouldn't think, well, now here's the tipping point of history. Right? I mean, 12 disciples, one was a terrorist, another was a white-collar criminal, one named Thomas doubted everything. Right? At one point, Thomas says, let us follow Jesus that we may also die. Like, not the stuff of motivational speaking, right? <laughs> like, you wouldn't have said, oh, this, this is going to change the world. Oh, but it did. So here's what we're going to do, Bell Press. God helping us. 
taking our everyday sleeping, eating, going to work and school, walking around life, we're going to place it before God as an offering and see how he heals in us, through us, and all around us as his kingdom comes here on earth just as it is in heaven. So Jesus, help us to do that. We need your creativity because there is no blueprint. We need you to guide us every single step of the way. So Jesus, give us eyes to see what you are doing and how we can be a part of it. And Jesus, help us get closer to you so that your love transforms us. And we'll be grateful and point to you as the author of all good things. We pray this in your name. Amen. As a way of kind of summing up this sermon series, this that we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Uh, we made a video, actually Joanna Harmon made a video, uh, and this kind of sums up a lot of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We're going to show it right now, and I just invite you as you watch this video to let it kind of spur your imagination and, and spur on your thinking, and then after the video, there'll be just a, a short, like one minute of, of kind of music, and just use that time to pray and ask Jesus, like, Jesus, how can I be a part of healing our culture? Where do you want me? How does revival start? Christ's resurrection is the first example of how he makes all things new. He restores things the way God intended them to be. His word for that is the kingdom of God, and his resurrection is the first example of that. But it isn't meant to be the last. So he says to us, go. You all go. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, launch a movement that makes all things new. Jesus' plan to change culture is to send us into the world to start a movement. It all starts with each one of us. History shows that the only times this movement has ever consistently worked is when Christians live the Jesus way of life and others are drawn in, and gradually the culture shifts. This is not consumer Christianity, not religiosity. It's the genuine Jesus way of life. It's personal, not institutional. It's a movement, not a monument. It's caught, not taught. But this is a tough paradigm shift for us. One of the reasons we don't always experience more of the power of Jesus is because we are so afraid to get out of our comfortable boats to discover that we can actually walk on water. But then we would get to be part of something much bigger than the puny gospel that says Jesus came just so we could go to heaven and do better sin management. He didn't just come to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into us and into this world. For decades now, for many people, their perception of Christians is that we are the people that yell and argue at the culture. Is that causing people to flock to Jesus? Jesus didn't say, go preach at people. He didn't say, go make converts. No, that's God's business. He says, go make disciples. Go do life with people. Life on life, that's what changes lives. If you do that enough times with enough people, then the culture starts to change. It's a relational methodology. As you go to work, school, the store, you are a door wherever you are. You are a door through which the kingdom of God can walk. This audacious vision of Jesus is that there could be a community of people who live so radically for him, each other, and for the world that others are drawn in and one by one by one, it goes viral and the culture shifts. For such a time as this, we have been called into a service to be those doors wherever we are, those doors through which the kingdom can walk and start a movement that heals our culture. So what are you waiting for? 
get out there and start a revolution.